Hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars with really interesting folks just to give you a taste of some of the ideas and things that are going on out there in the in the horse world. Um, today my guest is Stacy Boswell and she is doing something called fear-free veterinary care. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yes. So uh, the fear-free movement um, in veterinary medicine started in small animal. So there's there's a huge movement for dogs and cats. Um, and then they also have some avian modules for birds. Um, and basically the whole idea is we really don't wanna cause psychological trauma to our patients. Um, we want our patients to be happy and comfortable as much as we can possibly do that. Awesome. So now, now we're doing equine. But you've also written a book. I have. Well, and yes. I didn't realize that until I was um, doing a little background check. And of, of course, Martha was like, yeah, you're having Stacy." So um, what's the title of your book? The title of my book is, the title of my book is The Ultimate Guide to Horses in Need. So oh. it's a, it's care for rescues, purchases, and adoptions, but it's really aimed at horses that come from a state of neglect. Um, and the first half of the book is veterinary care. Well, the first two thirds. And then the second portion of the book is training. Um, just really basic training stuff, but it starts with a chapter on physiology, how horses see the world differently, how they take in light, why they might be um, reactive in certain situations, like on a very windy day, um, when their senses have been changed. The medical care starts with um, understanding why horses get into a neglect situation or end up in a neglect situation, um, goes through quarantine, how to take care of ectoparasites such as lice and mites goes through uh, the surprise foal um, because that happens, that happens. a lot. Um, so I advocate that every mare get checked after purchase at least twice, two weeks apart um, because that avoids, right? That avoids the surprise. We really want to make sure that we know what we've gotten into. But anyway, it goes through all the medical stuff big chapter on refeeding a starved horse because I've seen some people make some pretty, pretty big mistakes that have cost some horses, some lives there. So, um, anyway, it's a, I, it's really a labor of love. And I think it's a very nice compilation for horse care in general, but especially if you have a horse that you've picked up from the kill pen auction or, found a neglectful situation or something like that. Well, maybe we can have you come back and talk more about that topic because I've had um, Diet Hillman from Days End Farm. Ah, uh, yes. And she's been on a couple of times now. And we've kind of talked about some of the, uh, how Days End Farm operates and, and talked about rescue horses. But I think that would be a nice addition to that sort of collection of webinars that we've already done. I would love to do that. Awesome, great. So um, Stacy, please give us a bit of like, how did you wind up involved with the fear-free uh, movement, which I had not heard about until, um, I think it was Rebecca Husted that said, get Stacy." <laughs> yes. So um, I, I really lucked into it. And as lots of things in life go, I am board certified in equine surgery. So pretty steeped in how we do things in equine medicine and surgery. Um, but I joined a mixed animal practice here in Montana that was fear-free certified. And they said, oh, before you start work, you need to do these modules. And I went through the small animal modules and I thought, oh, this is how I already do that with horses. Oh, this is how we could apply this to horses. Oh, let's do this. That was January of 2018. In February of 2018, I had a conversation with Marty Becker, who's the founder of Fear Free. And I said, hey, I've got some really good ideas. Let's get equine started. So it took us about a year to get a really good group together. In addition to me, there's an anesthesiologist and a behavior person, um, a behavior specialist, um, a person that does some positive reinforcement clicker training, does some really nice work. So we compiled all of our information and Fear Free, um, Fear Free took care of all of the editing and makes it into a really nice package. So there's... Um, eight modules for equine. Um, so eight hours of continuing education, um, how to take care of horses in the veterinary clinic and how to train horses um, or desensitize horses for owners so that when they get to the veterinary clinic, we've already done enough basic groundwork that we can do the things we need to do to be effective medically. 
So Stacy, are you familiar with the Surefoot pads that I've created? Um, I saw a little bit about that, yeah. All right, we'll have to talk afterward and maybe we have to get you some because one of the things that's so interesting about Surefoot is that it quickly switches horses into the parasympathetic and they recognize the person who brought them that comfort. And I'm working with another vet about how we can use like the half physio pad at home. And then when they go to the clinic, they get the half physio pad and they make the association. Ah, comfort. This is going to be great. I'll be out. Okay. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that um, later and I'll, I'll uh, get in touch with you. Okay. So, so um, were you a horse kid, crazy person all your life? Did you have horses as a kid? Were you, did you show? Um, so I didn't show, um, until I was in college a little bit. I was on the intercollegiate equestrian team for a year. I got a horse when I was 16. Um, I grew up in New Mexico and the year I got a horse, there was an outbreak of vesicular stomatitis. So there were no shows. Um, and then I took my horse to college with me a year and a half later. So, um, but once I got a horse, I was really bitten by the bug pretty hard. So I've never looked back. <laughs> and your accent doesn't make me think of Arizona. It makes me think of New England. Um, yeah. Are you from Arizona? No. Yeah, I'm from New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So it's yes. a very, you know, reminds me of home. I'm from Connecticut. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, I lived in Ithaca for a year. I worked at Cornell. So. Okay. Maybe that's it. All right. So you, um, so that's, so you went to college and then you went to vet school and obviously you just said you went to Cornell. Yep. So after, so I went to veterinary school at Virginia Tech. After vet school, I did an internship at North Carolina State University, all equine, worked at Cornell's orthopedic research lab, comparative orthopedic research for a year. Um, and then I did a surgery residency at the University of Tennessee. So, and then took the two-day exam and passed to be board certified surgeon. Yikes. Oh, so you're a surgeon as well. I, wow. Yes. Impressive. So all your training was East Coast. That's probably that where I pick up. Yeah, all my training is East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so then um, after becoming board certified in surgery, where did you go to work then? So I went back home to be near my family for a few years and worked in a mixed practice in New Mexico. Um, it's it's mixed practice is interesting because it's more financially stable through the year. And, and there can be a little bit more flexibility about where you live. Um, so I don't have to be in central Kentucky in the 50 doctor equine practice, um, but I can still build a really good equine caseload and work on horses. So I worked in that practice for a few years and it, um, then I had some family pass away and that practice wasn't the best fit. Um, so we decided to move and my husband had some work up here and we fell in love in Montana. So we came up here. Montana's beautiful. I've, I've been there. Um, it's been a while now, but um, it's beautiful. I'm not sure I would survive the winters. <laughs> uh, I question that every year, but it's okay. Our house is a, it's a three stall barn and a garage on the ground floor. And then we live above it. So I don't actually have to go outside to go to the barn that works out. That's great. Oh yeah, that's the best. All right, so so the practice that you're in in Montana, that's also a mixed practice. Did I understand that? It is, yes. Yep. And so, like, what is your uh, percentage working with horses versus small animals? It's highly dependent on what time of year. So right now, I am probably doing ninety percent horses on on most of the days. Um, through the winter, like in October and November, I write a ton of health certificates to Arizona and California. <laughs> and then uh, I do some dental floats in November because we run a special and then I work on dogs and cats through the winter, which is fine. Cause then it's heated. Um. <laughs> no, no, I think it, that sounds like a nice sort of uh, way to do the year in Montana is indoors is. and outdoors in the summer. Cause it's just beautiful there. It is. Yep. Yep. All right. So, um, so you got to this practice in Montana, and like you said in the beginning, that's where you uh, started taking the Fear Free modules, right? Yes. So tell us who started Fear Free and, and what was the um, sort of the impetus behind that movement? So Marty, Dr. Marty Becker started Fear Free. Um, he attended his, if I recall correctly, his, uh, not story, but like the way that it came about is he had 
gone to a seminar at a continuing education conference and started thinking about how our patients are mentally affected by what we do with them and how we handle them in the veterinary setting. And, and truly, if you think about it, it is like being sick and being kidnapped by aliens um, because they have no idea. They already don't feel well. We take them away from their owners. A lot of times, like they have to go back to and get x-rays without their people. Um, things like that. And then if they're in the hospital, they're in the hospital without their people. And so, and then there's a lot of, I mean, it's medical care. So there's poking and prodding and holding and, you know, anesthesia and recovery without any explanation or being able to explain to our patients what's happening and that they're going to be okay. Um, and so that, that's really where uh, Dr. Becker was coming from. Like, how can we do this better? And he started enlisting behaviorists and anesthesiologists. We talk about pain management and doing a good job with pain management because a painful animal will be a more reactive or a more fearful animal. If you think about if you've ever had a migraine and you turn the lights on and it hurts, um, our patients have similar experiences. Um, Temple Grandin is on the review board for it. How do we perceive the world? Um, how do our patients perceive the world? Because it's not the same. Um, and so when we acknowledge all of those things, we can do a better job taking care of our patients. I can do a better, better job on a physical exam if I can touch every part of the horse versus, um, you know, a horse that's scared and I can only get to its shoulder and barely listen to its heart. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, so that's really the thing is not, not to incite that, as you said, sympathetic drive, like try to keep our patients happy and just not scare them really. And so, so when did he start this movement? Um, I think he, I want to say it was 10 or 12 years ago that he started thinking about it. I think fear free first came out in 2016 or 2017. Um, and then the equine modules obviously just came out last month. Um, oh, but wow. it's been, wow. Yeah, it's been the ball on the equine modules has been rolling for really two, two and a half years. Um, COVID kind of put a few bumps in our road, of course. Um, but we really, we have some nice material out there, tons of video in the equine, um, how to do things. And so the, the, it's really geared toward veterinarians to help them have more tools to deal with horses that are animals in general that are stressed or having to go into a clinical situation. Is that right? So currently the equine modules are veterinary focused and that is where Fear Free started. Um, the small animal side has trainer and groomer modules to do. And so they, they also have trainers and there are also trainers and groomers that are Fear Free certified. So we are working towards getting some of the equine modules available to trainers um, to help with getting horses ready for the world, right? Right. So, so, um, can you walk us through some of, uh, what, like what the approaches or give us an example of how fear free has changed the way you work with a horse in a certain situation? Sure. So, um, so fear free has three main core concepts, um, gentle control, considerate approach and touch gradient. And I would say, um, nearly every equine practitioner out there is using touch gradient, we're starting at, so touch gradient is starting at a place where an animal is less sensitive, maintaining contact so we don't elicit a startle response, and then working our way to an area that's more sensitive. So for example, if I'm going to take a horse's temperature, I'm going to touch that horse on the withers, pet him, scratch him, reassure him, maintain contact, walk my hand all the way to the rump, and then for me, instead of grabbing the tail and pulling it sideways, I brush the tail sideways with the flat of my hand, um, which they tend to be a little more responsive to touch him with the thermometer and then insert the thermometer. And that sounds like a lot of steps. It really isn't. And it also gives the animal a chance to communicate. If I get to his flank and he starts swishing his tail, I'm going to believe him. So from that standpoint, fear free, um, helps people stay safe. And they've really proven that in small animal. Um, so again, touch gradient, uh, gentle control and, and considerate approach. So gentle control is just how we hold our patients. 
So on the small animal side of things, Fear Free advocates no scruffing of cats. So scruffing a cat, you grab their scruff, you grab their legs and you stretch them. They can't move. Um, and so we don't do that anymore. We instead use a warm towel and some good feline pheromones and we cuddle them. Um, for the horses, I would consider stocks a form of gentle control. Um, I always want to do something positive after I put a horse into the stock. So walk the horse through, let them really take a good sniff of the flooring and the edges of the stocks. And when they come in, give them treats. And I will say the horses that I see year after year, um, they are less nervous every time I see them and I have them go into the stocks slowly, quietly treats afterwards, instead of, you know, putting them in the stocks, it's a high energy thing, slamming the doors, and then you immediately poke them, right? Like we just take things a little bit slower, which actually in the long run makes our days go much smoother and much faster. It's just, it's the same idea as loading a horse in the trailer, right? If you're in a hurry, it's going to take you forever. Um, so then um, considerate approach is just taking into account what the environment is like and how you approach a patient. So instead of squaring your shoulders and walking up quickly, you know, we might approach from the side. We might approach slowly into a horse. We might offer our hand and a horse will greet you. A comfortable horse will sniff your hand, sniff your shoulder, say hello, pet them on the shoulders, make friends with them. Um, I feed a lot of cookies. I do a lot of um I do a lot of positive reinforcement, but in Fear Free, it's not just rewarding good behavior. It's making the overall experience much better for our patients. So, um, oh, interesting to listen to you because I, I, I don't know, like this is, I've done over 200 webinars since the pandemic started and, uh, people that I've had on are Sharon Wilsey and Lindsay Tellington Jones. And what I'm hearing from you is that, um, a lot of the ideas that have been put forward in terms of respect for the animal and acknowledgement is now actually getting into veterinary practice in terms of the way veterinarians approach animals, which of course is going to make everybody safer. And that's the number one, I think, in my opinion, the number one thing that we want is, is safety. Absolutely. So a few years ago, the British Equine Veterinarian Association published a study that said being an equine veterinarian was the most dangerous civilian job. So if you're not in the military where people are actively shooting at you, the next best way to get killed is to work with horses as a vet. Um, and so, you know, horse, horse veterinarians were not super good about wearing helmets and safety vests. And that's, that's changing and coming along. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we could do better, but it, it is also just paying attention to the behavior science that's there and using it. And it is safer. That same study showed that veterinarians that were in practice for more years were less likely to get hurt. And I think that's because we may learn the hard way, but if we can teach some of our newer grads, we can teach our technical staff. So the fear-free veterinary modules are open to veterinary assistants, veterinary technicians, veterinary staff. Um, if I can help my, um, 20 year old staff that have only owned one horse and they've never worked in vet med. If I can help them read the horses better, um, that's going to keep all of us safer. So if we can teach that without people getting hurt and learning the hard way, that's a really, really great way to do it. A lot of fear free is common sense. A lot of people are already doing some things along those lines, but having it packaged up um, in a way that's very consumable is super helpful for getting the word out there and for learning things. I mean, like when I did the small animal modules, I've been using touch gradient on horses since I started working in vet med 15 years ago for a very lovely practice in Northern Virginia. I worked as a technician for them for several years. They gave me a great foundation for safety and, and horse handling. And I got really lucky with that, but I didn't have that same foundation for small animals. And I'm listening to the, or to the small animal fear-free modules and they're saying, use touch gradient. And I'm like, <laughs> of course, why didn't I ever think of that before, right? So even people that have grown up around animals, they're gonna get little gems and it's those little tiny details that make a huge difference to the overall patient outcome, how the patient feels overall. You know, I, it's, I, again, I just love listening to you because uh, I had one of those moments recently, I can't remember what it was right now, but it was like, of course, why, uh, oh yeah, trimming my horse's foot and I was bringing it straight back and when, the the um, 
equine person came, she moved it over to the, to the, across the other foot and the horse was comfortable and quit complaining. And it was like, oh, you know, sometimes we just get stuck in our own, you know, we all have ruts and we get stuck in them and we need something to just kind of jiggle us out of there or just help us make that connection. And it sounds like that's what the small animal module did for you was just say, you know, connect it to what you'd already been doing with horses. Yep. Yep. That's it's exactly so fascinating. Right. I, you know, I just, um, I just love the fact that it feels to me like there's an entire paradigm shift happening in terms of how we approach animals, how we uh, recognize them, that they're, that they are conscious beings and that they don't have to be wrestled with. Um, it's, it's really changing and it's changing actually, it feels like it's changing rapidly all of a sudden. I don't know if that's true or just my impression. I sure hope it's changing rapidly. Um, I would love to see it gain acceptance everywhere. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes in my everyday. I mentioned that I was in a mixed animal practice in New Mexico. It was not fear-free. And the verbiage that I heard from people was, I don't know why my dog hates the vet. Um, boy, my cat is nervous here. Um, I couldn't get my horse in the trailer today because last time I put him in the trailer and brought him over, you know, we tortured him or whatever. And that those are like just little innocent comments that, that people say, what I hear in the fear-free certified practices, oh, you're going to spoil my dog. Oh, he loves it here. I have dogs that drive me back inside the exam room. I don't have to wrestle dogs onto the scale. You throw a few treats down, they get right on the scale. It's so easy. Why didn't I think of that before? Right. But I had to be shown some of these things. Um, but it's the same thing with horses. Like, okay, we're going to put a horse in the stocks. Why aren't we giving them a treat every time they go in the stocks? Now I, we know fear free knows sometimes things are not medically possible. It might not be a good idea. A horse may be colicky or inappetent, but if we build this foundation with our routine appointments, then when we have a serious problem, we're much more likely to be able to treat our patients successfully and get them the things they need. So let me give you an example. Uh, I told you before we started, um, I have a video here to share with you. Um, this is a horse that, is, that uh, the owner often sedates for the farrier. She just acquired him a few months ago. He has a lameness issue and I'm going to block or desensitize part of his head, part of his limb, sorry, part of his leg to, um, <laughs> I should start this again. <laughs> okay. Oh no, my computer locked up. Okay, let's do it again. So let me show you this video. Um, this is a eight-year-old horse the owner's owned for a few months. He is not great for the farrier. And so she sometimes sedates him for the farrier. Um, and he's not super happy about having his limbs handled, but I'm evaluating him for lameness and I need to block his foot and just try to localize where the source of pain is coming from for him. So instead of getting in, as you say, a wrestling match and putting a twitch on and, you know, making him do it, um, we just use a little bit of food distraction and it goes really well. So let's see if I can figure out screen sharing here. Yep, the green button at the bottom and then you pick the thumbnail that's your video. Okay. Hmm. Uh, there's somebody knocking at the door. Well, you're figuring out how to find out who it is. I just have to get the UPS guy to get the boxes because I'm by myself and he's early. No problem. Be right back. Sid, can you help me with this? Please. I want to share this video. Security and privacy. Oh, 
Screen recording, that should be it. Get to unlock it. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> great. I'm you know, still figuring it out, so your timing is great. Oh, great. It's already there. Oh, you got to quit okay. and reopen Zoom. Uh, Wendy, I have to quit and reopen Zoom, so I will be back with you shortly. Okay, bye. We'll see you in a minute. You know, sometimes things don't go quite as planned. Brad was supposed to be here to get the boxes up for the UPS guy, and we were late getting the webinar up, but I will show you her website <sighs> while we are waiting. You're all great. So this is Stacy's book. Oh, she's back. That didn't take long at all. <laughs> I was showing off your book. co-host okay great here you go and your co-host again yes it looks like it Should okay um somebody asked if the horse modules will be available for horse owners um so currently the owner facing uh information for fear free is at fearfreehappyhomes.com um so I anticipate that we're going to get a fair amount of horse information on there soon. Happy homes. Yes. Com. Yes. Okay. Awesome. And again, you know, it just, it just seems like there's a lot of threads getting brought together from, you know, a lot of different places that we're really moving in this direction. And, um, you know, the whole point behind Surefoot is to, help horses uh, ground and balance, right? And so um, it fits right in with everything you're talking about. Okay, here's the screen share. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. Yep, Let's... and if you just turn the sound down on the video, cause otherwise it'll um, play at a different speed. Yeah, the, so the video is playing. It's a little bit broken up, but not bad at all compared to oftentimes. So as you can see, I'm keeping my staff safe because this horse tends to like pull his foot away and, you know, flick it out, stomp on somebody. So I, or strike somebody. So I'm keeping them on the other side, but his ears are relaxed. Um, you know, there's some other horses around, he's looked towards them, but he's continuing to eat the treats that are offered. I'm actually moving his foot when I'm inserting the needle. It's a, it's a nerve distraction technique that works for me. Um, so he's not moving it there. I did that movement. Um, and he's accepting these injections. Yeah, so, and this is again, a horse that's really bad for the farrier and he's let me do all of that. And then we've got a little bit of friendliness afterwards. Yeah. But there was only one thing you did where he put both ears back and kind of listened to you. And the rest of the time, his ears were pretty much forward. Uh, hang on. I can't hear you. I don't know what I did. Sorry. Okay. Say that again. I'm very sorry. Um, there was, seemed like there was only one time where the, his ears went back to what you were doing. And the rest of the time, his ears stayed quite forward. The rest of the time, he didn't mind what I was doing. And he was, you know, he, he was aware of me there, obviously. Sure. But he wasn't worried about me. He wasn't pinning his ears. He wasn't fussing and it's just it doesn't necessarily work this easily on every horse every time like obviously there's a reason we started videoing him but again this is a horse that is bad for the farrier and so he's not great about his feet to begin with but he really didn't mind me doing that I made it worth his time with the treats you know okay I can tolerate the little needle stick if I'm going to get some cookies you know can you play the video again for us Absolutely. And I can also send you a copy of this. Oh, it's okay. Uh, Do I turn the sound off on the video? Because sometimes that tries to come through. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. We'll do that. Somebody said, didn't jump too much. Okay. So at my end, the video is actually playing pretty well, but sometimes when we do it a second time, it gets better. And so what you're doing here is just to make it easier for the farrier or just to- No, what I'm doing is desensitizing the foot um, to, to try to determine or localize the source of the lameness. So this horse, he's sore. So what I'm doing is desensitizing the foot. And if the lameness is in the foot, 
then they'll get sound. Okay. So basically blocking him. I'm blocking him. That's exactly what I'm doing. Okay. Yes. And so his behavior in uh, with the farrier is very difficult. You were saying that he was strike. Somebody yep. Um, yep. Yeah, there's the one time he put his ears back and it was only that one time. You know, I, I, I from my perspective with Surefoot, which I, I understand that you really don't know much about it, but in the 12 years that I've been doing Surefoot, no, I've been doing it since 2012, so 11 years. The thing that I've come across over and over and over again is that when horses are out of balance, they show us a lot of behaviors. And you oh, know, yeah. people want to talk about the behavior of the horse, but not understand the, the reason why the horse is showing bad behavior. Um, and that's what I keep finding is that they're out of balance, either mentally, emotionally, or physically. And then we make their lives more miserable in many cases because we get after them for their bad behavior, which only escalates behavior. Right. So, so first he's painful and now we've made him fearful because we've hurt him because he's painful, right? Like we just need to listen to what they're telling us and try to, you know, try to get try to make it easier for them. And, and again, that's why Fear Free has several anesthesiologists, veterinary anesthesia specialists that help because they're really good with pain management. Um, and how do we manage these painful things? And then when we manage the pain, the pet is easier to work with because they're comfortable. Right. And, and pain drives so much behavior. Like, like you said, you know, if we have a migraine, we don't want to talk to anybody or have any bright lights turned on. And certainly I'm sure that they would rather not be in a bright lit clinic right. when feeling awful. But I do know, you know, and okay. So I've recently been in the hospital. Well, a couple of years ago, why don't we actually approach people in the same way that we are approaching <laughs> veterinary care? So, so uh, that's a really good question, Wendy. And I recently found that there is actually, um, some information about PTSD after significant, it's, it's been documented in humans that humans can get PTSD, like true clinical fear after having a major medical procedure. But I tell you, we went, my husband and I went together and got our COVID vaccines and he's seen me do all this stuff, right? Like He's had to hold the horse for the videos and, and stuff like that as the modules have been in development. But we also have two dogs that are geriatric. And so they're on Adequan injections. And so, you know, we put the whipped cream on the licky mat and then we put the mat down and then the dog, you know, my dogs have no idea that they're getting an injection. They get, they get whipped cream once a month. They have no idea why. Um, but we get to the COVID uh, vaccine center and he looks over at me and he says, you know, he's kind of tongue in cheek about it, but he's not a hundred percent kidding. He's mostly kidding, but there's a little serious part that says, you know, we should have brought a can of whipped cream for yeah. us. <laughs> it was so great. It's so great. So, it's so true. It's so true. Um, you know, many years ago in 1984, I had a really bad accident. I broke my left acetabulum and, um, you know, they put, put me in traction for 10 days. And when it came time to take me out of traction, I had made arrangements with my nurses to give me pain meds before the doc got there. And he came early and just ripped the, the rod right out of my leg. No pain medicine, nothing. And it's like, yeah, I'll right. never forget it. It was traumatic, you know. Of course it was. Yeah. Right. And, and you're a human that can understand what's going on and understand like the next time might not be the same, right? If we bring an animal into the clinic, if we bring a horse into the clinic and their very first experience as a weanling or a yearling is scary and traumatic, um, we've got 30 years yeah. of trying to overcome that trauma. And so if we can do some thing, do some prep work at home, do some prep work in the clinic, do some things so it's less traumatic to begin with, we have a much better success rate treating horses long-term. So, and we do, we have to do vaccines every year. We have to do Coggins testing. We have to do dental floats for horses. Um, and that all involves a fair amount of, you know, being on the receiving end of the needle for them. And so we have to make it as easy as we can really. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, the difference with small animals and I mean, small animals can bite you. Um, 
which are really serious, but horses can kill you. Horses <laughs> can kill you. Yes. Even when you're super careful at some point, you're probably going to get hurt working on horses. But if we can, if we can read them better and if we cannot scare them to the place where they feel like they have to defend themselves, we're much safer. We're so much safer. Absolutely. So, so what is something an owner can do in order to help that horse be safer with the veterinarian? So I think probably the most important thing is to, uh, I mean, they have to be halter trained, right? So, but that most are, but, but really make sure that, that we as owners, I own horses too. Like, let's make sure we can touch our horse everywhere, right? We can touch under their belly. They allow us to lift their tail. Um, they allow us to do a thermometer there. They let us touch their flank. They let us touch their gums or mucous membranes, lift their lip, look at their teeth, you know, look at their incisors, at least let us put our hands on their head and face and ears and eyes, right? If, if there's nothing else an owner does, if you just pet your horse from nose to tail, like that's a huge step. That's a huge step. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because, you know, I was, I've worked with Linda Tellington Jones since 1985, which was the year after that serious accident. And so much of it is being able, you know, using the T-touch all over the horse's body and doing gum work and ear work and tail work. And so I don't even think of that as an issue from your perspective. Um, and that's fascinating to me that you're working with horses that owners can't touch all over. Right. Yeah. I mean, a pregnant mare that we can't touch her belly and utter. Wow. You know what I mean? So yeah. how, how, what do we do when there's a problem there then? You know what I mean? And for, on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, I'm going to go ride my horse today. There is no need for me to touch her utter necessarily. But when it comes time that we do need to do that, it's important that we are able to do that. Right. And of course, the quality of touch the owner is using is very important. It's not like you're going and smacking your horse off. Right. Right. The idea is that it's soothing and calming and the horse accepts it willingly and readily. Right. And that's where the considerate approach comes in. Like oh, right. we're yeah. going to touch this animal in a very nice way. We're going to make friends. And when the animal says, Hey, I'm uncomfortable there, we're going to heed that warning. And we're going to listen to what they're saying and say, how can I help you be more comfortable with this? Here's some positive reinforcement. Here's a treat. Um, let's work on this, right? Let's work on this gently. Oh, this is not so bad. Now I am comfortable with that, right? Yeah. So, so what do you do with the horse that's food obsessed? Um, so I have a lot less problem with that than I think uh, the general horse training um, sort of lore talks about, right? Like everyone knows if you feed too many treats, your horse is going to be a treat monger, but it's the way that you do it. So, uh, so like on some of the weanlings and yearlings, I I've had a couple horses, actually, I can think of one that I vaccinated recently, an un un a fairly unhandled horse had no idea how to take a treat out of my hand anyway. So we offer a food pan, right? A pan of grain. It's still something positive. It's still some distraction. It's still something that makes the animal feel happy, right? Like I love getting ice cream. So, um, right. So we want them to feel happy and that doesn't have to be a treat out of our hand, right? Um, in between like the nerve blocks we showed on this horse, we're going to go out and graze on the green grass for 10 minutes. So we're not really, if we, if we are paying attention, we're not creating uh, food obsessed animals. We're born food obsessed. It's important for survival, right? So, um, you know, when we give the treat, we're going to give it when the horse's head is straight in front of us. If they reach around and they ask and they're mugging you for it, that's not when you reward that, right? It's just a matter of timing and understanding that a little bit. And it's okay to use distractors. I, I do have, um, I have a couple donkeys in my practice and I didn't realize that the owner never feeds treats. Um, until I saw her on Facebook in a donkey, uh, local donkey group here recently. And she said, oh, I love Dr. Boswell and my donkeys do too. That's the only time they ever get treats. Um, and I use, I typically use like alfalfa cubes or we have outfitters cubes here. They're, they're bigger, um, like bigger cubes. And most horses know how to eat alfalfa. 
But if I'm using like the little peppermints and stuff like that, a lot of my, because I'm in Montana, a lot of my rural horses or my ranch horses, they don't know how to eat a peppermint. So I'm going to use something the horse likes, but we're also going to use it in a way that, um, you know, that we're not encouraging that mugging behavior. So, and, and honestly, I would rather have a horse ask me for a treat a few times than to refuse all treats, take 15 strides away from me, be fearful, pin his ears and strike at me. Like I am really given those two choices. I am okay with getting asked once in a while. So, and I don't, I don't generally find, and I feed treats to all of my patients all day long. And so I get a lot of practice at it, I guess, but, um, I've learned some things about that over the last several years, like how to do this and not, not be super muggy with it or super, you know what I mean? They don't get that. And if you have one or two that are in that way, then you just use a few less treats a little more judiciously and that's okay. So, you, you know, you brought up a great point because you're out in Montana where you're dealing with a lot of working ranch horses and they're not used to a lot of cuddling or coddling. Or right. um, and so do you find that different than the, like the population that's more handled or more of a, a you know, a, for lack of a better word, companion? Yeah. So, um, so what I like to refer to it is as a bond centered practice. Um, so these horses really have a strong human animal bond. My favorite client patient combo that I see a lot is, uh, I have, I, I mean, I can think of like a dozen women that are either widowed or divorced and in their at least sixties to eighties. And they have horses that are in their teens to thirties and they have like three or four horses and they love them dearly, all of them. And those are like, I love, these are my people. Like these are my people, but um, you know, the horses that come in with the ranchers and the outfitters that have a job and a purpose um, they're important for that livelihood. Um, so they have, they have a strong value there and I'm finding a lot of the ranchers and outfitters, um, that are younger or even the older ones that have grandkids, there's still a human animal bond there. They still do this job because they enjoy it. Um, and so I see, um, like you were saying, there's been some, some change in how we view animals. And I see that change, the effect of that change, even through those populations. But I will say like, some of the ranch horses that have been basically taught to not interact, I'm a new person and we know that animals recognize individuals. Um, we've known that as horsemen for years, but, but there has been a scientific study that actually documented that. And so we know that's true. Those horses, if I'm still quiet and offering, they often will still greet me the same way that, um, you know, a more open horse will, or a bond bonded horse will. So they're, they're still horses and they're still there and they'll still do the same horse things. Sometimes they're a little more reserved, but once, once you say, Hey, this is okay. We're going to be friends. They're the horses are open to it. So cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Sarah Schlott. She, she's, uh, done a lot of work with, uh, polyvagal theory in humans and is now, doing more with horses. And um, she had a really interesting article recently that I read and she talked about the fact that, um, how, do I, how do I put this? It's like, if we ask an offer, but uh, accept that sometimes the answer might be no, and we pause, we're gonna have a much better bonding experience with the animal than if we never allow them that moment. And I, right. I kind of think about it, um, I have one horse who, was it's a long story he was 10 years not done much with um and he's kind of a unique individual but i offer him the halter and i let him say no and then he'll come back and say yes so if he says no i just go to the next horse and when i come back he says yes and so there's i, I guess what i'm trying to say is it's allowing horses to actually have a say and if we give them that moment they actually come back with yes they, yeah, they often will say yes. Like, and it's, it's, it's the halter that you described, but it's, I mean, I'm simultaneously shocked and amazed that any horse ever gets in any trailer at all. Mm -hmm. And like, why isn't this horse wanting to get in the trailer today? Because all of the other horses do this, right? But they will say yes, if you just take your time, it takes them 
you know, we take for granted like our high concentration of neurons and how fast we process things, right? But it takes them a little bit longer to make a decision. But if we give them the opportunity, they they will say yes. They will say yes to go in the stocks. They will say yes to get in the trailer. They will say yes to accept the needle sticks. I mean, they don't have to, but they, by far and away, they do. They say, okay, I'll do that for you. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And it's just, it, uh, it's really great to see that this is coming into the, the veterinary care aspect. Um, again, from the safety perspective, but also like, I'm sure that when your truck pulls up, every one of your clients goes, it's Stacy. <laughs> Um, right. Because their sense of smell is huge. I mean, it's huge. It's a, apparently it's as good as a bloodhound. Um, and so they know that we're coming long before we ever walk in the barn. Right. Yep. They sure do. Yeah. So it's really cool. And I'm, I'm so excited to hear about this um, and to see that it's uh, how many, how many vets are, do you know, that have been through the fear-free program? Is there a, do you have a number? Ooh, uh, yes. I can grab that statistic for you right quick. Um, And I, I take it it's it's growing in popularity and its movement. Oh yes, um, I believe oh, I will get that statistic for you. Okay, it's uh, it's the thousands um, awesome. on the small animal side. You know, again, the equine just came out last month, so I don't I don't have a number, but I will sure. I will get you those numbers. Will it, will it be amazing. amazing this year in Tennessee? I'm sorry, what? Is, is the fear-free horse module, or that, is that going to be at AAEP in, in um, Tennessee? So that's a really interesting question. We will have a booth there. Oh, I'll yay, the booth. I'll be there. <laughs> um, I submitted a paper, uh, how to implement fear-free core concepts into equine practice. Um, mentioned considered approach, gentle control, and touch gradient. Um, it was soundly rejected. Um and the comments were, uh, it's interesting because it's the pushback that we hear. Like it, the comments literally said, this needs to talk more about training ill-behaved horses and their owners. That is a direct quote from the rejection I received. Oh, so I'm going to submit it again and again okay. and again until it's accepted. Awesome. I just, you know, uh, yes. Please do that. And if you'll, I will be there with your foot. Um, so it will be fabulous. I, I'm going to try and do some webinars from the show if I can. Um, so maybe we can have you come as a guest. Great. Really awesome. So, um, so how can, uh, how do I put this? If, if I am a horse owner and I would like my veterinarian to use fear-free techniques, how can I tactfully, uh, bring that subject up to my veterinarian? So again, I think probably 90% of, of equine veterinarians are, um, they're already using touch gradient because if they're not, they're getting hurt. Um, because we're, when we startle our horse patients, they will hurt you. So, so that part's pretty straightforward. Uh, you as a horse owner can have your food distractors. You can, if you've done your homework and your horse allows touch. Um, you can verbalize what you're seeing your horse do. Hey, she's not really comfortable with this. Let's slow it down a little bit. And she might be, she might let you do that. If we just move a little slower, I know you're in a hurry today. Do you want to reschedule for a time that you have more time? You know, just, just little easy things where you can slow it down. And, and as a veterinarian, I can tell you if I am, taking a horse's temperature and I'm, I'm short, like I'm five, two on a really tall day in heeled boots. So if I am looking at a 17 hand warm blood and I'm listening to gut sounds, I might not see what the other side of the horses do. You know what I mean? Like if that horse turns his head, I don't, I might not be able to see it. Um, or if I'm focused, like you see me in that video, I'm focused on the leg. I don't see what that horse's ears are doing until I watch the video later. Right. So as the holder and the handler, that communication is really important anyway. Um, so when you just communicate these things and you say, Hey, my horse really enjoys that you 
touched, you, you know what I mean? That you petted his withers or, you know, you give the treat, your veterinarian's going to give the injection. You're going to give the treat afterwards and tell your horse. They were so great for letting, letting the stranger walk up and poke them. So there's a lot of baseline stuff you can do as the owner. That's going to, going to make it easier. Great. Yep. Yeah. Sure. And I think those questions are the statement, you know, my, if you're having a bad day, do you want to come back? I think that's a really important important one because we all have bad days i had a bad day this morning the clutch went out of the tractor, tractor over the gate <laughs> and then um so so we all have bad days and sometimes it's just important for someone to point out that out to us so that we can do a, a, a checkpoint um and somebody made the comment that many veterinarians and veterinary practices have been certified fear-free um, and ask your vet if there is a fear-free practice or if any of their vets are certified. So where can people go to find out if their veterinarians is certified or who is, you know, what clinics are? So at the fearfreepets.com website, there is a finder where you can find certified veterinary professionals and you can find um, practices that are fear-free certified. Awesome. Fear-free pets with a P. Oh, not vets. Yep, hang on. Fearfreepets.com. Okay. Glad you were watching. One letter difference. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Well, that's great. And I just, I, again, I just am really excited to hear about this moving in. And you know, I'm I'm very fortunate that the vets that I have are very considerate vets, and um, uh, we've been dealing with some health issues with one of them, and so it's been really important. Um, and it's you know going well. Um, she's actually recovering, which is great. Um, Good. But yeah, I mean, I just, there's, there's a lot of variation, shall we say, um, in the approaches across the board. Yep. And so this is fabulous. So um, somebody's saying that this has been an absolutely beautiful webinar and so informative. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the horses and humans. We love them. That's great. Thank you. All right. Um, and do come back. I'd love to talk about your book. And the topic in the subject. Of Absolutely. That's great. Let's set something up. And I look forward to seeing you in Nashville. Yeah, that should be fun. It's, um, it's a great town. It's a really fun town. I've been there. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, just remember that this and all the other webinars can be found on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And I will be back on Thursday with Dr. Heather O'Leary. She uh, has been uh, working with Surefoot with large and small animals. And she has a great story about using Surefoot with a, a dachshund that had an issue with its leg and was very anxious with its mom. And after using Sure Paws, the dog was so much better. So again, it's, it's making the dogs more comfortable and, and so that everybody can be successful. Thank you, Stacy, so much for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again and meeting you in person. This has been fantastic. Sounds great. You have a lovely day. Thank you, Wendy. Bye.